I gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Might a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Our Flag Means Death with the help of special guest, Director of Content and Communications at People AI, Blackbeard, Captain Kidd, the Gentleman Pirate. Well, the first two are like very, very talented pirates. But the last one is the scariest of them all. Instead of killing with weapons, he kills with kindness. Oh, right. So you're the gentleman pirate then. Well, sus. Mariah, how are you? I am doing great. How are you, Ian? Nice to see you. Great to see you again. Always great chatting with you. Excited to chat in public, in front of the world, uh, about content, about marketing, and about one of both of our favorite shows, Our Flag Means Death. Meredith, it's not one of your favorite shows yet, but uh, I feel like it can be rising up the ranks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Mariah's got me into it. I'm deep into the first season and excited to get into the second. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. So Mariah, why did you pick our Flag Means Death? Oh my gosh. I think with, you know, how intense work is, I'm a working mom, life is like stressful and I'm running a million miles an hour. So when I actually sit down to watch a show, I really like comedies. But I also like shows that make me think and make me feel good. And it kind of checks all of those boxes for me. It's hilarious and lovable. And zooming out, tell us a little bit about your role at People AI. I am um, Director of Content and Communications. And so all things content marketing, PR, external communications, and social kind of fall under my umbrella. And there is one gal on my team, Jess, who is my right-hand woman, and the two of us kind of run this lean content operation at a really fun AI startup. Meredith, what the heck is Our Flag Means Death? So Our Flag Means Death is a show about this aristocrat in the 18th century named Steed Bonnet. Great name. And he's decided that he's done with his wealthy aristocratic life. He's going to become a pirate. My name's Steed. I'll be your robber here today. And so he buys his own ship and names it Revenge. He hires his own crew and gives them a salary instead of offering them loot. And he sails off on the high seas. So it's about him basically just trying to hold his crew together. They're constantly on the brink of mutiny, super dysfunctional. Weeks we've been out here with nothing to show for it. I should have 20 kills by now, at least. And in the meantime, he runs into Captain Blackbeard and they end up falling in love, which I think is so beautiful. So I reckon what makes Ed happy is you. Um, but it stars Reese Darby as uh, Steve Bonnet and Taika Waititi as Blackbeard. 
The series was created by David Jenkins and it premiered last year in 2022. So it's now in its second season and is available on HBO Max for anyone who wants to watch. To me, what makes the show really special is one, it's a love story between Steed and Blackbeard, which is super original and interesting. You make Steed happy. Um, And two, it's loosely based on a true story of Steed Bonnet. He named himself the Gentleman Pirate. This is in (laughs) real life, which is kind of funny giving yourself your own nickname. Like, I feel like you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. No. Think up some new names. Cool ones. Uh, He was born to this wealthy English family in Barbados. Here you come with your library and your fancy quarters and your secret little closet full of of frilly shirts and, and summer linens. And in 1717 was when he decided to become a pirate. Some men are born to be pirate captains. Others learn on the job. Watch my buttons. Me? Well, I'm a pretty solid mix of both. So he did meet Captain Blackbeard, whose real name was Edward Teach, in the Bahamas. And they did team up to pillage and plunder other ships. And they went all along the eastern coast in the U.S. But whether he had a romantic relationship with Blackbeard or not is pretty uncertain. Although... When I was kind of looking into the background of this, like romantic relationships between sailors and pirates was not unheard of. So it's totally possible, but they did take some liberties with the script and with the storyline. But so David Jenkins, the creator, said that pirates weren't really his bag, but the idea of someone in what he called an existential freefall, like Steve Bonnet. So he's having this like identity crisis, basically. Admit it. This is a bit of fun, isn't it? He thought that was super fascinating. And the fact that Steed was like this wealthy landowner and was kind of like over his unhappy marriage, he just wanted to leave and do something totally different. He said that was like super appealing to him. About it being a love story, Jenkins said that it's a show about falling in love more than it's a show about people's reaction to gayness in that era. And he added that so often shows about gay romance are really about gay trauma and our flag means death is more about romance. He really wanted it to feel like an escape for people and to be just really focused on their relationship. You're a fucking lunatic and I like it. And so I think in that way, it's special too. One thing I did notice, and I noticed it, I think it's in the first episode, Steed and his crew are on their ship and they come in contact with a British ship and they send over this little, I don't know what they're called, the little boat that goes in between. And I think it's a dinghy. I was going to say a dinghy. Yeah. Yeah. So they send over a dinghy that's full of the crew from the British ship. This is it. Places, everyone. Look scary. Who they recognize Steed somehow from like the past. They're basically this dinghy full of bullies, but they're all white, like fancy. British men and they board Steed's ship and it has a super diverse crew. And that's one thing that I think that the show does really well is have a really diverse cast. And Mariah, I know that's one thing that you brought up and that it's made the show this really, really interesting storyline and that they are kind of celebrating people from all different backgrounds. And Mariah, what do you think about their choice to do this and and sort of how it plays into content. I know that was one thing you were thinking about. I was thinking, what about Our Flag Means Death is remarkable to me since that's the theme of our show here. And there's so many things I could talk about. This like, it's not just Steed, which by the way, Reese Darby is like, I cannot stop watching him. I just laugh looking at him. Even watching interviews <laughs> preparing for this, for this interview was like, I was just like giggling. He's just, he's hysterical. Surrender, you have no chance of escape. Yeah, that was a warning shot. 
But it's not just his character, Steve Bonnet, who are going through these journeys of like self-discovery. I think that that theme goes throughout the entire show. But on the topic of um, diversity, what really struck me was what you just said, Meredith, which is that it's not about trauma. It's not about overcoming things. It is just woven into this show in such an effortless way. And I was watching an interview with Nathan Fode, who plays Lucius, who is Steed's lovable and, you know, emotionally abused sidekick because Steed is like totally incompetent and poor Lucius is trying to hold everybody together. He's one of my favorite characters. But in an interview, he said, I don't know why TV executives act like this diversity formula is some really difficult thing to crack. If you hire diverse teams, you then create diverse shows and then you get diverse audiences which I thought was just like this no, like no, no duh, like moment, like, yes, that's it. And I wish that more shows were like this because it's really beautiful watching these kind of, you know, not just diverse in terms of like ethnicities and backgrounds, but in terms of gender identity and sexualities represented on screen. It's just, it's amazing to watch. So I really have enjoyed that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think because the show explores like love so much that I think is so cool about it is that it's so clear that what makes, you know, Steed go seek this, you know, to be the gentleman pirate and to go do this thing is like rot, not really, you know, adventure or a call to the sea or pillage and plunder or, you know, having a crew or any of that sort of stuff. Like it is that he just like has a partner that he can't stand being around. And that, like, he is looking for love. And you don't realize that until, you know, I think probably like the end of season one where you're like, oh, I get it now. It, it all is sort of like coming clear to me. It, it kind of reminds me of the memes where it's like, you know, men will do anything to not talk about their feelings sort of a thing. It's like, like men will yeah. literally, <laughs> you know, give up all of their family and fortune and buy a pirate ship and become a pirate just so they don't have to address their feelings. Something I've always encouraged. Uh, bottle it up. No, Frenchie. Yes. We talk about it. Exactly. And it's just like, that just cracks me up about the story and about sort of like, you know, discussing masculinity and all that stuff. And it's just like never ending funny. And every character has that sort of thing. They're all looking for you know, like love in their own way, just like the vast majority of human beings on the earth are. I have two thoughts about that. First of all, there's this scene in season two where Steed and Blackbeard and Buttons are on land and they run into like these old friends of Blackbeard's and they spend the evening at this house with many drivers against her. And there's this scene at the end where sometimes Taika writes these or in some of his shows, some of his messages are really like shoved down your throat. It's very on the nose, but like, but I appreciate it. And in the whole episode, Buttons is telling everyone that he's going to become a bird because he wants to be closer to his true love, the sea. And nobody's listening to him. They're like, whatever, Buttons, this episode isn't about you. And then at the end, Blackbeard says to him, you know, Buttons, stop saying that you're going to turn into a bird. People don't change. And then in that moment, Buttons turns into a bird and Blackbeard is just kind of like, okay, well, yeah, okay, that just happened. And it's just this like very in your face, like that is the theme of this show is that, or one of the major themes I think is that you can change and we're always evolving and all of us are kind of on these journeys of self-discovery and it's uncomfortable and it's scary sometimes, but it's human as well. Yeah, my my favorite episode is when 
Blackbeard, he's with the aristocrats. And Steed is now for the first time, you know, Steed has been a fish out of water, you know, pardon the pun, with being the captain of a ship because he's never been a captain of a ship and he's never been a pirate and all this stuff. And Blackbeard is very good at all this. Every pirate captain captains pirates differently. And then finally, Blackbeard has to go, you know, mix and mingle with all of the people who are these, you know, quote unquote intellectuals and are sophisticated and know the rules and all that. And you're taking this like historic real human being, Blackbeard, who was, you know, feared by all these people and did all this pillaging and plundering and all this. And you put him in a situation where he wants to fit in and he can't, and he doesn't feel like he can do it. And he's basically on a date with his boyfriend, meeting his boyfriend's friends and just like basically sitting there on the couch, like I cannot even speak to these people. And it's just like such smart, storytelling where it's like i wouldn't have watched this show if it was about a couple sitting in their apartment in san francisco and like you know dealing with each other's you know crazy antics like i I just wouldn't watch that but i watched this because it has all of this like crazy tapestry and ridiculous stuff all around it and like super funny writing and everything but it's like because it's blackbeard and you get to see this ridiculous character do these things for me it like took me to the moments where I felt vulnerable in life when, you know, you're like the last kid in the swim team and, you know, always finish last with all the older kids and like, you can't really fit in or, you know, I was horrible swimming, at least for the swim team. And so like, it just brings you to those moments. And I love that. And then the other episode, this is long winded, but the other episode that I love so much is when then Blackbeard's old buddy comes to town And Steed has to meet basically, you know, like essentially, you know, his boyfriend's ex and brings back all like finds out all the bad stuff that they used to do and all the crazy stuff. And all of us have been there, too. And like to see these characters in these superhuman moments surrounded by all the ridiculous stuff. It's my jam. I just love it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) One of my favorite episodes, actually, to go back to a point you made earlier about Steve being very unhappy in his marriage. I think his wife's name is Mary. One of my favorite episodes is Blackbeard wanted Steve to run away to China with him. Hey, do you want to do something weird? And Steve freaks out. And so Steve decides to go back to his life with his wife. And he shows up and she freaks out because everybody thought Steve like was gone forever. And it turns out she has moved on. She is a talented artist. She is raising these kids by herself. She does not want a husband in her life, but it's the 1700s. And so she has to take him back. Their dynamic is just hilarious to me, but there is this very sweet moment at the end of like him being there. And then they decide like he is going to leave. She reveals that she has fallen in love with her art teacher and is very happy and the kids are happy. And they're sitting at the the edge of the bed and she goes, you know, have you met someone, Steed? And he goes, I have. His name is Edward. And she just gives him a big hug. And it was like this very sweet, like full circle moment of like, everybody's like kind of ending up where they're supposed to be. But it won't last. But it won't last. Because that's not what stories are made on. That's right. That's so true. Yeah. Take away TT. His shows, his movies, they're incredible. I mean, I don't think I've watched a single one that I haven't liked. Yeah. One of the things that I love about his work and... You know, I don't know where David Jenkins, the creator, and stops and Taika begins and, you know, whatever. I think it's, you know, so 
do credit to both of them. But for Taika, for his work, what he what he has talked about is this idea that he always likes to tell stories of like your found family, basically. And I like love all of the stuff that he does there because it is so part of our life. And we'll get into the work side of this, but like we spend so much time at work and our found family at our work is like a very real thing. Like it, you spend so much time with these people And I think that there's a lot of reasons why we love workplace comedies and all these ridiculous comedies is because of that. You know, this is a workplace comedy. They just happen to work on a pirate ship and there's a love story, you know? So it's just, he's so good at that piece of it. And then he's so good at, you know, talking about marginalized groups and native cultures and all of that as well. And so he's just able to layer on complexity to the characters that really just makes them all super three-dimensional. And he always gets the most out of those interactions. And it's because such dynamic characters, and I think that's just like a big takeaway for me whenever I watch his work is like found family and figuring out how people feel marginalized. Like, how do you make Blackbeard feel like he's the smallest person in the room, right? Like, how do you do that? This is what they think I look like. Hmm? Fucking Viking vampire clown with... Look at that. There's one, two, nine guns all over him. Nine guns? And, like, he's so good at those things. But no matter how big and rich and powerful you are, there are things that, that make you feel small or make you feel marginalized. And he's so good at finding that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. One thing I was thinking about too is like he clearly is empowering the people that are marginalized in this. And I, I kind of see the their ship as kind of like a microcosm where like things can exist separate from the world around them, right? And one thing that stood out to me on that note is like he plays a lot with like vulnerability with men. I'm folding stuff. That's okay. And like they're reading bedtime stories to each other and doing the voices. And and then Steed, he kills the bully, right? The guy who's like making fun of him, the British soldier that, British, sorry, naval man who boards his ship and is like really picking on him. And like he kills him, but then he kind of makes it seem like he's stabbed him through the eye and is like, I did this. And it's a power move to show the rest of the crewmen to gain credibility with his crew. And you can see how scared he is, right? And you can see him like thinking back to his home life and having this moment where he's just like crying. And so I think it's interesting that they also play with that a lot too and is different than I think men are shown in a lot of like, you know, pop culture today. But I feel like it's coming out more and more. I totally agree, Meredith. I think the whole character of Spanish Jackie feeds into that as well. I Mm -hmm. mean, Leslie Jones plays this character. She is... She is something else. She is a force of nature and she has like 20 husbands and she's the boss and everybody, you know, does what she says. And, um, and so really that like kind of gender role reversal there, I think is, is definitely something that is done really well in this show. Yeah. I just love it. I love every character. I like, I love that they develop lots of characters and it's not just Steed and Blackbeard. I think everybody has a chance to shine and, and you really get to know them all. And I think that's a really beautiful part of the show too. Yeah, I think just final thing that I think I'll, I'll point to is just like 
the tensions that they create of like, should Steed go back? What is his relationship to, to his family? The tension of like, should Blackbeard just keep doing what he's doing? People just see the flag and they freak out, Blackbeard! They basically just give up, they surrender. What's his relationship like with his first mate, which is Frayed? You know, Blackbeard and Steed get together and then they, you know, then they break apart. And like, these are the type of storytelling sort of like, you know, methods that you have to create tension and then relieve the tension and then create more tension and like do that sort of stuff. And I think it's just, you know, something really important to think about as we get into our B2B marketing lessons here. It's like, what are those pieces of tension? Who do you have tension with? Why do they have tension with each other? And how could, you know, those things be potentially like, what are they looking for? What are they seeking to gain? Or like, you know, what do they want versus what do they need? And that's some of the stuff that when you're thinking about your own business storytelling that you need to do. Oh, so yeah, I guess, what are your three marketing lessons, your your three takeaways of what we can do in our marketing? Gosh, okay, my three takeaways from our Flag Beans death are be brave, because I think Steed did something both cowardly and leaving his family, which we just like kind of brush over in that show. We just kind of take for granted. It's okay. But he does do something brave. He he realizes that he's not living, you know, his authentic self. And he kind of embarks on this mission of self-discovery. And I think that there is something to be said there or a lesson to be learned in storytelling, which is that you can try new things and you should be brave and you should, you know, if something's not working, it's okay to start over you know, so many times we we kind of get this muscle memory and and do things the same way over and over again. And, and it's hard to break out of that. So that's one of my lessons. Number two is being vulnerable and authentic to your brand and to yourself. Vulnerability, Meredith, is something that you brought up, especially in, in terms of gender roles on this show. But I think, I think it's something that we don't do enough of in B2B marketing in general, is humanizing our companies. And, you know, I'm in the AI space and it's all these like super high-tech you know, terms and we can talk about productivity and all this stuff, but really we're speaking to human beings. And so I think that that ability to be vulnerable and really speak to people is something that we can learn from this show. And then last, which is something that I always try to do, which is hire people who are better than you. Steed is completely incompetent as a pirate and (laughs) he hires a crew that is like marginally better than him, but they all come together and they get the job done. So I'd say that's my third lesson. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest takeaway, and I love all of those, from the way that the story is told and the way that, you know, Taika does his storytelling in general, is this idea that no matter who you are, and it could be Blackbeard, it could be whoever, that there's something that could get you to like walk away from it all. And what would it take to make Blackbeard stop becoming a pirate? What would it take to make someone leave their aristocracy and give up their entire family and what drives a person to do that. And I think that like in B2B marketing, that's like your purchase decision, right? Is like, what are the circumstances that really are driving this person to be pushed off the edge and figure that out and like answer all of those questions and put all those things together? Because, you know, by the time we meet Steed, He's ready for something different. By the time we meet Blackbird, he's ready for something different. And if they had met each other 10 years or five years, whatever, they would probably not have fallen in love. Like, But they were both sort of ready for that moment. And uh, when you're doing business storytelling, you need to figure out like, what is the tipping point? What is the moment 
where it's just all sort of been enough and you say, hey, I'm going to invest the money into the thing. I think that's a really good point. I also think it's worth thinking about the fact that especially in this kind of economic climate where purchase cycles are getting longer and, you know, it's not like the good old days of 2020 when everybody was like spending money left and right and buying this tool and that tool and all of this stuff, you know, it takes a lot more for people to make that purchase decision. And so I think another one of the themes of the show is kind of building trust between characters and this slow build. It's not like Blackbeard and Steve fall into each other's arms immediately. It's like this slow build of a relationship between them and between all of the characters on the show. And I think that that is something that that we can think about right now, especially in content marketing is what are the stories we're telling that are, you know, building that trust? Where are we helping people right now when they really need it without asking anything else of them in that moment? And being patient and knowing that like the efforts that we're putting into it right now are leading to that moment, Ian, of change, of making that purchase and kind of influencing those decisions. All right, let's talk people AI. How do you think about content? How do you think about marketing? Yeah, people AI is, it's a really interesting space to be in because everybody's doing AI, but people AI is an AI native company. So they were built as an AI company. They were started almost a decade ago. And I think our founder, Oleg, he's kind of a visionary and a genius in that he built this company knowing that like the differentiator with AI was going to be data, which for so long was like, oh yeah, let's talk about data, but it's really not sexy and nobody really wants to talk about it. But really now that we're kind of in this kind of inflection point with artificial intelligence, that is, that's the fuel. I mean, that's the only really differentiator when it comes to AI products. Everybody's got a cool UI, whatever. So when we think about storytelling at People AI, it's just really like helping people understand why that matters and where they're sitting on, you know, their own treasure trove of data and then how they can use this technology that everybody knows they need to have and everybody has budget for, but nobody really knows what they're doing with it. And so really just being kind of that trusted partner in this inflection moment in all of society, really, to kind of help people understand, like, what are the implications and what are the steps you need to take and how to make the right decisions for your organization is kind of like the overlying theme of how we're thinking about things right now. Awesome. What's your content strategy? How do you think about the ROI of content? Yeah, we as an organization have kind of shifted our audience a little bit in the last year or so. We used to kind of cast a wider net and we sell to sales teams or go-to-market teams. So primarily sales teams, but also marketing and enablement. But we used to kind of cast a wider net and speak to a broader audience and that included like reps and, and users. But we've shifted to kind of this more high-level leadership category and are really thinking like high-level like C-suite and and VP and things like that. So when we think about ROI right now, as we kind of make this shift in how we're talking to our audience and choosing our topics, whether it be written content or video or social, we're really looking at quality over quantity and saying, okay, if we have like a LinkedIn Live, what is the pipeline that's in the room? Well, who are the brands that are there? Who are the people that are there? It might not be, you know, an event with a thousand people showing up, but if there's only like 40 people who show up for your LinkedIn Live, are they the 40 people that you want? Are you creating a message or an event or a moment in time with this content that is really resonating with those folks that we're trying to reach? So we're really being very intentional about measuring that as we go and then shifting our our strategy 
as we go. And I was, I listened to a podcast recently that talked about all these CMOs talking about metrics. And especially as I mentioned, as the economic climate is changing, nobody wants to talk about building brand anymore because boards (laughs) don't want to hear about brand building because there's no ROI on that. But I think we live in that world with content, right? Like, of course, we're influencing purchase decisions. Of course, we're bringing in leads. But we're also, like I said, building trust. And so so we're thinking a lot about like, you know, we look a lot at our LinkedIn engagement metrics. We might not report on all of that, but it is something that we look at. Like, we, you know, we've got a formula of like, we do this many posts each month and like this much entertainment content and this much ed- educational content. We've got this whole formula for it. And, and we're really looking and tracking how are our high-performing posts doing, but we're also like focusing on our lowest-performing posts and saying, you know, like, why isn't this performing? Is it the graphic? Is it the headline? Are there threads of commonality that we can pull out of these low performers? That, and are those things like that we can change to like optimize the way we're presenting our content? Or is it a topic that's just not landing and we just kind of need to shift our strategy around that particular topic? What about stuff that you want to invest in or setting stuff on the horizon that you're thinking about and want to mess around with? PR will be a huge focus for me. Is it 2025? 2024. PR will be a huge focus for me in 2024. (laughs) This is really important strategy-wise for an organization of our size and, and kind of being as at the stage of a startup that we're at is really getting our our experts, like our CEO and some of the other kind of like top voices at our company, like really out there and in kind of spreading this message through human beings, not just through our brand page, not just through our website, but like having people appear on podcasts and, and kind of like really establish them as thought leaders and advocates for the brand while also building their own personal brand will be a big focus for me next year, which I'm really excited about. Last question here, talking metrics. I know that y'all think about this stuff. Everybody does. Any metrics that you think about or, or ways to, uh, to think about your content? To be honest with you, I, I really don't like, like page views and website traffic, even though I know that we have to look at those numbers and see those numbers and see volume. But what I'm really interested in is where did they come from? Like, where are they seeing our message? At what point did they see something and say, okay, yes, that's good enough that I'm going to click. That is what I care about. And then I also want to know what they're doing next. Like, is this blog that I wrote compelling enough? Did I tell the story in such a way that they are going to read something else? Did I share like an idea in such a way? Did I embed a link in the right place? Is my call to action right? Is my headline right? That they're going to do the next thing that I want them to do. So those are the kinds of things that I care about is like, what is the behavior that's being done? And then to kind of go back and and talk about value, like quality over quantity. You know, we look at like who attends our events, of course, but then we can also see what brands are looking at our content. So every month I, I look at, you know, blog views and different areas of the website. And I say, okay, you know, these are our top 10 accounts that are in the pipeline right now. Are those people coming and reading content? If so, what are they reading? What are we feeding to them? What are they seeing that is going to like help them move along or help our salespeople get them to the next stage of of those conversations? So those are the kinds of things that I look at and, and care about. Any other thoughts here? I think that going back to our flag means death, I just, I think that there is just something so magical when you can 
put something out in the universe that like that that is a risk. Like I feel like that show, maybe it's not as much anymore because we all know the Taika, you know, like formula, but putting something out into the universe that is just so ridiculous. Like it's so silly. It shouldn't work. Like there's so many things about it that just shouldn't be right, but it does work. And it is so sweet and it is so heartwarming. And it is just the best storytelling and the best show and all of the like the cast and crew that they put together, like all of those little pieces were so thoughtfully done that it all comes together and it works in spite of itself. And I think that there is just something to be said there that we can we can all apply not only to, you know, content marketing, but to life in general is take the risk, but, you know, do it right. Like put the work in and and put the thought into it and and then put it out there and see how people respond to it. I love it. For our listeners, you can go to people.ai to learn more about the cool stuff that they're doing. It's always great chatting with you. Wonderful to have you on the show. We love our Five Means Death, so it's fun talking about it today with you. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, it's just been a pleasure working with you, Ian, and you, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.